And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid. And they glorified God who had given such authority to men. Thank you, Skylar, for reading today's passage. Today's story is about a paralyzed man and Jesus. Some of us are physically paralyzed and cry out for God's healing hand. Most of us walked into our TV room to watch the online service, but we're still paralyzed. How so? Some of us are spiritually paralyzed. We no longer believe that God is active in our world. God feels so distant. Our prayers seem to bounce off the ceiling. We feel God is paralyzed. Our pleas are like that of the psalmist. Why are you sleeping, O Lord? Some of us are mentally paralyzed. Anxious, worrisome thoughts fill our minds. Climate change, the fourth wave of COVID-19, financial strain, and so on. We feel helpless. We struggle to pull our thoughts together. Like the psalmist, we cry, why is my soul in such turmoil? Some of us are are emotionally paralyzed. Our relationships are strained. Forgiveness, uh, reconciliation, and healing seem so far from us. The relational pressure has left us languishing. Why should we continue to love those who reject us? We cry, how long, O God? What would Jesus say to us who suffer from paralysis in so many ways? As we focus on today's story, we remember what has just happened in chapter 8. Jesus has just demonstrated his authority over nature. He stilled the wind and the waves with a word. And he has just expelled demons from two demonized men. He has authority over the spirit world as well. He has authority over disease, the demonic, and nature. What next? As we open chapter 9, Jesus returns to his ministry base in Capernaum on the northwestern side of the Sea of Galilee, where he has already healed many. Some people bring a paralytic to him, lying on a bed, a mat. The Gospel of Mark adds a bit more detail to the story. Mark says that many had gathered at the home of Jesus. As Jesus preaches to the crowd, the house fills to overflowing. Four men carry the paralytic to Jesus' home. 
When they see that they will not be able to get near Jesus because of the crowd, they remove the roof and let the paralytic down. The Gospel of Luke adds that they let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. This is a dramatic moment. The man with an obvious need is right in front of the preacher. Jesus cannot escape this critical moment. The crowds are fixated on him. What will he do? First, Jesus sees their faith. The text says their faith. The the faith of the paralytic and his four friends. Jesus has already cured paralysis in chapter 4, chapter 8. They believe Jesus has authority and power to cure the man who lies on his mat before him. Faith is a significant component in Matthew's healing stories. Jesus marvels at the faith of the Roman centurion and says, let it be done for you as you have believed. Jesus says to the woman suffering from a discharge of blood, your faith has made you well. To the two blind men, Jesus says, according to your faith, be it done to you. To the Canaanite woman with a demonized daughter, he says, O woman, great is your faith, be it done for you as you desire. To the disciples, he later says, and whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Reading these passages, we can only conclude that Jesus responds to faith. Our heart posture does not go unnoticed. When we exercise faith now, our hope is not in the greatness of our faith, but in the greatness of who Jesus is. Let me repeat that. When we exercise faith, our hope is not in the greatness of our faith, but in the greatness of who Jesus is. And Jesus honors the trust we deposit in him. Jesus sees and responds to our faith. If we are spiritually, mentally, emotionally, or physically paralyzed, the first question we should ask ourselves is this. Do we have faith in Jesus or do we suffer from unbelief? Jesus sees the paralytic and his four friends and he sees in them the same faith he saw in the leper and the Roman centurion. Faith. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, Hebrews Hebrews 11.1. Those with faith are like Abraham who believed God could give life to the dead and call into existence the things that did not exist. They live by faith. Then observe how Jesus addresses the paralytic. Take heart, my son. The word son is an affectionate term. In other words, Jesus is saying, be encouraged, my friend. Something good is going to happen. He speaks to him with compassion. Later in chapter 9, Jesus will say the same thing to the woman suffering from a discharge of blood. Take heart, my daughter. Matthew writes in chapter 9, verse 36, that when Jesus sees the crowds harassed and helpless, he has compassion. The word helpless there means they cannot pick themselves up. It's gut-wrenching for Jesus. Some of us need to hear this from Jesus today. Take heart, my son. Take heart, my daughter. I see your faith. I feel your pain. Something good is going to happen. Jesus sees our pain, and he speaks with compassion. But then Jesus says something shocking. We expect Jesus to say to the paralyzed man, rise up and walk. Instead, he says, your sins are forgiven. What? 
Immediately, some of the scribes are asking themselves, did he say what we think he said? Is he claiming to be God? This is the worst of blasphemies. He should be stoned. Why does Jesus say this? Firstly, Jesus is focused on the paralyzed man. He speaks directly to him. Did you notice that he speaks before the man says anything? Jesus sees his heart condition. John 2.25 says that Jesus sees what is in the heart of a man. We might assume that the paralytic has come for physical healing, yes, but is also troubled by his sin. Many in the crowd would have assumed a connection between the man's physical, physical condition and his sin, including the paralytic himself. Imagine the weight that he lives under. Is his life forever marked by sin? Has he forfeited his right to God's blessing? In John chapter 9, Jesus encounters a man born blind. The disciples' first question is, who sinned, this man or his parents? Jesus says, no one. Personal sin is usually not the direct cause of illness, but it can be. In John chapter 5, Jesus tells a man who had been lame for 38 years to stop sinning. A connection is implied. Paul connects sin and illness in 1 Corinthians 11. James does the same thing in James chapter 5. When Jesus says, your sins are forgiven, he seems to imply a connection between the man's sin and his paralysis. Secondly, Jesus says, your sins are forgiven because of the two, paralysis and sin, sin is the more fundamental problem. Sin is our root problem. As a Jew, the paralytic probably knew Ezekiel chapter 18 verse 20, the soul who sins shall die. Ultimately, every illness is the result of sin's entrance into the world through the fall of humankind and our sinful condition. It is the true global pandemic. Jesus sees our root problem, sin, and speaks to it. The pandemic has actually exposed our root problem, the sin virus within us. When churches, families, and marriages divide over mask wearing, social distancing, and mandatory vaccinations, it is because of sin, not the COVID virus. And Jesus would ask us, would he ask the lame man beside the pool of Bethesda, do you want to be healed? If we want healing for our paralysis, Whether it be spiritual, mental, emotional, or physical, we will have to let Jesus speak to our root problem. We quickly ask Jesus for the alleviation of physical suffering, but do we want Jesus to speak to our heart issues? We quickly ask for relational healing, but do we want Jesus to speak to our relational sin? Often, when there is a need for healing, Jesus wants to do much more than one thing. When we are wrestling with physical illness, he also wants us to draw near to him, receive forgiveness of sins, experience healing from bitterness and resentment, experience greater measures of mental health, and see relationships restored. Jesus sees the whole, and he sees the source of our struggle. When it comes to our root problem, our human tendency is to do one of three things. One, ignore sin, as if it does not exist. Two, blame it on something or someone else. Three, pretend it doesn't matter. But Jesus came to deal with it, not to ignore it or manage it. If we're asking God for healing, Lord, have I sinned in any way should be one of our questions. Jesus takes sin seriously. Sin is ugly. It's loathsome, contaminating. It separates us from God. It separates us from one another. It makes us outcasts. It separates us from ourselves. 
Like leprosy, sin is inside us, deeper than what is visible on the surface, always spreading, always defiling, always isolating. It has only one cure. What is it? In Matthew chapter 8, verse 17, after cleansing a leper, healing a paralyzed servant, healing a woman with a fever, and expelling demons, Matthew quotes Isaiah 55, verse 3. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. The word illnesses means those who lack strength. According to Isaiah 53, Jesus takes our illnesses so seriously, he goes straight to the cross and takes upon himself all our griefs, our sorrows, our transgressions, and our sins. And he not only carries our sin, but he offers healing. Isaiah writes in chapter 53 that with his stripes we are healed. Nothing escapes Jesus' work on our behalf. When we're emotionally exhausted, can't control our anxious thoughts, don't have strength to work at relationships, and feel spiritually oppressed, Jesus carries our sin. All of it. All of its devastating implications. He deals with it on the cross. He takes all of it upon himself. Jesus sees our root problem, sin, and deals with it on the cross. Why is this so important for our healing? Through his sacrificial death, Jesus took on the most horrific of diseases, sin. All of our failure to measure up to God's standard of holiness, our missing of the mark, our willful rebellion, our striving to live independently of God, every hateful attitude and evil action that offends who God is. Jesus took our sin upon himself when he died in our place on the cross to remove that most hideous leprosy of our soul. Faith in Jesus' ability to deal with our sin guides us securely through this life storms to our eternal destiny. In Jesus, the greatest threat to our well-being and security has been defeated. And he, the one who secures our eternal destiny, is also present with us in every moment here on earth. And this enables us to have a completely different perspective on life's daily challenges. My friend Rick suffers from ALS a debilitating disease, until now medically incurable. One night he had a dream. In his dream, he was physically whole. He could walk. He woke up elated, full of joy. In the days following, Jesus began to speak to him about forgiveness of sin. The question he asked himself was, am I as elated about the forgiveness of my sin, my being declared righteous before God, the restoration of my relationship with God, am I as excited about that as I was elated over my physical healing in my dream? I pray for my friend's physical healing. I want to see my friend walking. I want to see him carry his bed home. But for us today, his question is penetrating. What God revealed to Rick is worth much more than his physical healing. Why? Because he knows he will walk with Jesus for all of eternity. So does the forgiveness of sin, the eradication of our root problem by Jesus, excite us as much as a story of physical healing? Debilitating disease terminal illness, spiritual oppression, financial insecurity, being rejected by your peers, and nature storms all generate fear. But the most fearful of all of life's challenges is sin itself. The other challenges can result in physical death, but sin results in spiritual death for eternity. This should evoke the greatest of fears. A few weeks ago, I stopped at the Pioneer Cemetery in Yale, one of the oldest towns in British Columbia. 
The tombstones tell the story of immigrants who came to BC from England, Scotland, Eastern Canada, Italy, and other places with a dream. I stopped there to pray for our province. One brutal truth. Everyone buried in the cemetery died. Some of the children died in infancy. Some people died as young adults. Some died of illness. They all died. Maybe it is a good practice to walk through a cemetery every now and then or attend a funeral as I did last weekend. My first cousin died of brain cancer at 69. Maybe we need to do that because we cannot avoid illness completely. COVID-19 is a reality. Many have suffered. Many have died. As a society, one of the reasons we have struggled with COVID is because we struggle to live with the reality of suffering and death. We live as if we should not die. We should not suffer. But we cannot avoid death. If we ignore the reality of sin and try to suppress the reality of death, we are no longer able to think clearly about today. We live in illusion. We become confused in our thinking. Our emotions have no anchor. We're just blown by the winds and waves of our time with nothing to anchor our souls. Jesus sees our root problem. He knows the reality of sin and death. And he is present to not only assure us of our eternal destiny with him, but to enable us to face the storms of life today. Nature storms, spiritual storms, pandemics, climate change, whatever it is. Jesus has authority over nature and illness. Jesus has authority over sin, death, and Satan. Sin and its consequences, separation from God and death, they've been defeated Jesus has authority over all things, and this should encourage us, encourage us to trust him fully. He wants to calm our hearts and minds. He wants us to hear his words to us. Take heart, son. Take heart, daughter. I see your faith. I feel your pain. I'm present to minister healing today. Pastor Rob asked a few weeks ago, is it 100% healing now? D.A. Carson wisely writes, Though secured by Christ's cross and resurrection, our resurrection bodies come to us, according to the New Testament, only when Christ returns. And the same may be true in many instances of healing. God may bestow healing now, but he has certainly not pledged himself to do so. But one day, all true believers will be perfectly healed. Ultimately, all sickness and death will be eradicated. All who follow Jesus will one day be delivered from every physical manifestation of sin. This is our sure hope. Our resurrection bodies will be completely whole. But if we're thinking about perfect health right now, then no. Not all are healed physically in this life. And Jesus came to give us much more than healthy bodies on this earth until we die. Jesus came to minister ultimate healing. He comes to minister ultimate healing. In chapters 8 and 9, Jesus' miraculous works reveal that he is the one anointed by God to inaugurate the kingdom of heaven on earth. Many are following Jesus. They believe. In Matthew 8, verse 19, a scribe says he wants to follow Jesus wherever he will go. But not all rejoice with this good news of the kingdom on earth. In the crowds, there are many scribes and Pharisees. Luke adds that they have come from all over Galilee and Judea, including Jerusalem, the headquarters of the religious establishment. Why have they gathered in the little town of Capernaum? Well, to study Jesus, to observe him, to evaluate him. Some of the scribes are speaking to themselves. They're questioning Jesus in their hearts. 
Jesus perceives in his spirit what they are doing. Their thoughts blind them to what is being revealed before them. Jesus sees their unbelief. Unbelief is the most basic of sins. What do the scribes believe? They believe Jesus has committed blasphemy by taking upon himself the authority to forgive sins, which only God can do. They believe Jesus has slandered God. In Matthew chapter 26, at Jesus' trial, they will claim blasphemy as justification for his crucifixion. They do not believe. Here in Jesus' home in Capernaum, we observe tension between Jesus and the religious leaders for the first time. This tension will grow. It will become a central theme in Matthew's gospel. Why do the scribes so often oppose Jesus? Well, the new wine of Jesus challenges them at their core. Jesus undermines their worldview, their understanding of how God works, their authority and power in Jewish society, and their interpretation of the scriptures. Accepting Jesus as God's anointed would completely upset their world. In their hearts, they do not believe Jesus is the Messiah. They question him. And how does Jesus respond to what is in their hearts and minds? Jesus sees unbelief, the most basic of sins, and challenges it. He asks a rhetorical question in verse 5. For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk? The question implies that if the harder of the two can be demonstrated, the easier of the two may be assumed to be possible. Obviously, it is easy to say, your sins are forgiven, because it can't be immediately verified. It's an invisible reality. But the claim to heal a paralyzed man will be immediately confirmed by everyone. The results will be seen. If Jesus can heal the disabled man, then he also has authority to forgive sins. Then he is the Messiah. He is God, and they should believe. So Jesus says, But that you may know, that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, verse 6, And then without finishing his sentence, he turns to the paralytic and commands healing. Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And what happened? Verse 7. And he rose and he went home. The power of God was with Jesus to heal. This was visible evidence of Jesus' authority. Luke adds that the paralytic went home praising God. And the crowds, they're afraid. (laughs) They've witnessed a God-sized miracle. But they do not just sit in fear. Their awe, it breeds praise. They glorify God because of the authority given to Jesus. A new era has dawned. They do not fully understand who Jesus is, but they know they have seen something that they have never seen before. They've never witnessed anything like it. It will take time for them to understand what Jesus means when he says, the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. That designation, Son of Man, it means that Jesus is the humble servant, Emmanuel, God with us, who has come to forgive common sinners like us. He is the suffering servant prophesied by Isaiah who will redeem his people through his sacrificial death and miraculous resurrection. He is also the glorious king who will return to establish the kingdom of heaven on earth. The crowds and the paralytic Glorify God because of Jesus. And the scribes and Pharisees, they will question why Jesus spends time with sinners. 
They will question Jesus at every turn. They will not be able to deny his miraculous works, but they will attribute his healing ministry to the work of the devil. Matthew 9, verse 34. And this is the sin that cannot be forgiven. Jesus can only cure unbelief when there is a turning, when there's a turning. Jesus is more than willing to cure unbelief if we turn to him, open our minds to his revelation, and pray, Lord, help my unbelief. The man who confessed this to Jesus saw his demonized son delivered. Jesus is more than able to reveal himself to us. The question is this, do we want him to show himself to us? Would we be willing to change our worldview, the way we think, what we value, what we do? Would we be willing to walk the path of healing, spiritual, mental, emotional, relational? Are we ready to have Jesus say, rise up and walk? The paralytic was desperate because of his physical condition and his sin. A few weeks ago, some elders and I, we prayed for a friend, Ted. Ted suffers from an incurable disease, a debilitating condition. A year ago, he fell and he he broke his leg. He has not been able to walk since his fall. We prayed for his healing, physical healing. We want to see him walk. Over the past year, different people, people of different ethnic and religious backgrounds, have come to his home to care for him. I asked him, Ted, how many... Have you carried to Jesus this year? How many have placed their faith in Jesus over the last year? About 10 was his reply. Ted is not walking, but the spiritually paralyzed who visit him are walking home forgiven. Are you willing to be carried to Jesus? The crowds listen to Jesus' teaching. They observe his miracles. They don't fully understand who Jesus is, but they are awed by what they see. If they continue to follow Jesus, they will see more and more. Do you want to see more? Some of the scribes, they question Jesus. Accepting Jesus to be the Messiah would upset their worldview, completely alter their belief system, challenge their values, and demand their obedience. They do not want to come down from their thrones. They choose paralysis. With whom do we identify? The paralytic? The crowds? Or the scribes? Do we want to get up? Let's pray. Father, I thank you again for revealing your heart for us in Jesus. And Jesus, we thank you again for coming. We thank you for the way that you revealed your Father when you were on earth. We thank you that you were faithful to go to the cross and take our sin upon yourself. And Lord, in this moment, I pray for those who are watching, those who feel like they cannot get up today. Perhaps it is spiritual healing that they need. Perhaps it is mental healing or emotional healing or relational healing or physical healing. Lord, I pray that they would hear your word to them today. I pray that they would hear you say to them, take heart, son, take heart, daughter. I'm present. I'm present to bring healing. I want you to get up and walk. 
And so, Lord, I pray that you, we would receive the healing that you desire to minister today. I pray for those that lack faith, that their faith would be strengthened. As the man cried out, Lord, help me in my unbelief, I pray for those that don't believe that they would open their minds and hearts to your work and they would just simply ask, Lord, if you are real, then reveal yourself to me. So, Lord, we trust you to do your work today in our lives. We need you desperately. Have mercy on us. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll leave some questions for your reflection. God bless you.